This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. All right, now I'm situated. So I had two pictures to show you guys. Feel set. Okay, now I'm set. All right, so one of them, but we don't have them. Not really sure what happened. It got lost in the translation of me to Chuck to hear, but it's okay because I'll describe it. So one of them was a picture that my son took with his drone, and it's while we were in um, in Florida and we were um, swimming in the ocean. And it's really cool because his drone goes really, really high, and so all you see is just beautiful, beautiful crystal blue ocean water forever like the whole entire picture is just this mass amount of blue water because we were all the way out at like the second sandbar which is pretty far out and then you see like three little heads in the water three little dots or specks and it's some of my family and then the other one that i had to show you was um he ended up switching to his underwater camera and so we're way down at the second sandbar and it's like i don't know some it just kind of depends but usually it's around 12 15 feet something like that so we're all the way down at the bottom and he took a picture um of each one of us kind of like swimming down and like you just don't see anything else like it's just this crystal water and then you see like a body and that's one of the things that I love the most about the beach. Any other beach lovers in here? I know Miss Cindy Mathern. We are beach lovers. But I'm not just a lover of the beach. I'm a lover of the ocean. So, like, I love being on the beach and all that, and that's great. But usually if I'm at the beach, I am literally in the water. So a lot of times my family will tell me that, like, they see more of, like, my back end and my feet than, like, my head and my face because I'm, like, always submersed in the water. I just love it. I love going way out there because like it just, I just feel so small and God's creation is like so enormous and it's so big. And I love the way like you, I just love going down and like opening my eyes and just like looking all around and seeing everything that's out there. Hopefully no sharks, but um, I, I just love the bigness of it. And, like, those are times where the, you know, obviously we don't go way out that far if it's, like, rough and stuff. That's when it's, like, calm and it's peaceful. But then there's other times, and we still love the water even when it's rough because my family is, like, you know, wave riders, you know? Any of y'all? Any of those? Anybody like, God, yeah, we need, God, we need some, like, beach lovers in this place. So we like to get, like, boogie boards and rafts and, like, our kind of family motto is the rougher the water and the bigger the waves, the better. And so, like, we will stay out there literally for hours. It does not matter how long. We will stay out there riding waves until literally our little legs are like jello and we cannot possibly walk anymore. And then, like, when you go back, you feel like you're constantly like rolling because we've been riding these waves. But, like, that's when it gets really, really rough. And sometimes it's a little scary because, like, man, when those waves, like, pummel you, like, your face hits the sand. And it's just so much fun. That's, like, fun. And so I want you to keep – it is. It's so much fun. So I want you to kind of keep that thought in your mind. Like, it's got that peaceful side of it, but then it's got that wild, crazy side of it too, right? Um, So I want you to to think – don't show it yet. I'm going to show it. I have a small clip of a video for you. And – on your phone and on your computer screen, it looks so much more intimidating than when I watched it up here. I'm like, does it even look that bad? But we'll see. I'll let you gauge it. But out in the ocean, like not just like at the beach, but like out in the deep parts of the ocean, average waves get about 11 feet. Like that's just average. That's like on a normal day to us, it would be like 11 foot waves. But then if there's a storm, um, I was reading to where it, and I called one of my cousins that works um, on an offshore rig, but when there's storms that are there, like in the big, deep parts of the ocean, waves can get up to 20 feet, 45 feet, and that's like normal in a storm. 
But there are times when waves can get up to 60 feet, depending on the severity of the storm. And so I have this video for us to watch real fast, just really short. And it's of this wave. So it looked so much more intimidating on my phone. Um, but I don't know. It, it's intimidating to me. Like, I can't even imagine being on this boat. Like, that wall of that wave is so ginormous. Like, it's huge. And I ended up wasting a lot of my time, like, ending up watching some of these videos of these huge tankers being just pummeled by these waves. But, like, look how many back there are. And then there's going to be this one that's, like, it's just going to, like, look at that. That's crazy. That is so crazy. So I sat and I watched these over and over and over again because there were so many of them. And so then I started looking up, like, what was the tallest wave ever recorded? And the highest wave ever recorded, they called it a rogue wave because it doesn't even have to be a storm. It can just come up out of the ocean with no no reason. They don't understand them. And it was measured on this um, offshore platform in the North Sea, and it was 84 feet high. Can you imagine being – and people were on that oil rig – 84 foot high wave. I cannot even imagine. I can't imagine being on that oil tanker. That would, it would absolutely freak me out. But um, so tonight, what I want to talk to you about is not necessarily waves, but it's going to involve the ocean. And the reason is because um, the crazy part of this is so we haven't sung Gracious Tempest in a while. It's been a while since it's been sung here, I think. And so um, I, I'm always just intrigued by that song and by the title of it. And so um, I wanted to um, kind of center the message around that song. And so when I was talking to Miko about it, it ended up that how, because he had his set, they had the set made, and, I, and he hates whenever somebody changes it because, you know, it just messes everybody up. And I was like, I really hate this, but can I please change the set? Can I please add this song or we could put it last, whatever? And then he's like, Caroline had picked it out of all the songs. She picked that song. And so I really think that God has something for either just one person or some people, but I just pray that you would, um, you know, just focus in and listen to what God is telling you. Let him speak to your heart, um, have ears that are open, and um, just kind of try to really understand um, the concept. So the first thing I figured we need to do is talk about the name of the song, right? So um, I'm going to kind of go over two terms. The first one is grace. Um, just kind of making sure we understand the difference between grace and mercy. So grace I have is favor and gentle kindness that God gives to us because of his great love for us. And we know because we read the word and we, and we sing it in these songs, right? We know that God's grace is abundant and he loves us. He adores us. He cherishes us, cherishes us. And because of that, he gives us grace. He gives us favor, and so he's, it's, it's, that is, he's loving and he's kind to us, but mercy is a little bit different because mercy is forgiveness that we don't deserve, right? Dom's preached on that before to us, that mercy is something that we deserve punishment. We deserve something negative from God because we are sinful and our hearts are deceitful. And so mercy is forgiveness that we're given even when we don't deserve it, even Even when we do those things that displease God, he gives us mercy. But what about tempest? So, like, that's a weird word to begin with, tempest. And then the fact that they paired it with grace, because I know whenever I think of gracious, when I think of gracious, I think of somebody who's gentle, right? I think of someone who's kind, who's loving, who's soft-spirited. And so that does describe God, right? All of those characteristics are characteristics that we find in God. But anybody knows what tempest means or what it is? Right? It's like weird. Like, who even made this word up? Right? But it's actually, it's referenced in the Bible a lot. And so tempest, we can go to that one. It really means a violent storm. And so I showed that brief um, video because I wanted you to get the picture of tempest. And what does it mean and the severity of it? So when we talk about like maritime terms, like marine maritime, when we talk about marine terms, the way that they gauge things is by like the velocity of the wind, um, the power, the force. And so you could kind of think if you've ever heard of like a gale force wind, 
you can kind of think of that as like something that's really strong, kind of like the way that they um, hierarchy put a hierarchy to hurricanes. So a gale force wind is really strong, but a storm, and when we're talking about things on the ocean and the sea, a storm is worse than a gale force wind. And then a tempest is even worse than a storm on the ocean. So I want you to get that concept and get that image in your head because that is the purpose kind of behind this song is the imagery that it gives. And so that's going to be important to what I think God has for us to to see and to understand in our hearts. So now it's kind of odd because now we've we've paired gracious, this kind of, you know, gives us connotations of soft and loving and kind and gentle, but they pair it with tempest which is this violent storm. And so then it's kind of like an oxymoron, right? Kind of like, whoa, that's kind of weird. Like how do we have something that's so so kind and gentle with something that could be like this 84-foot wave that could be so violent? But I want us to, to kind of think that, um, well, I want us to realize that in the Bible, tempest is used frequently. And so when it's used, it's used two different times. One of the times is it's used to talk about storms. And so, like, if we think about Jonah, remember, we know Jonah. Jonah was running from God. God had him to go deliver a message to a group of people. He really didn't want to. And so he turned away, and he got on the ship, and he tried to leave, right? But God sends a tempest. He sends this wild, crazy storm in the sea. And that actually, that um, imagery is used several different times in the Bible. And so he uses this storm to get Jonah's attention. And Jonah, remember, he's like, oh, wait, I know this is happening, and it's because of me. You guys need to toss me over into the ocean. And they're like, what? And they do it. They toss him over in the tempest. They in this wild, with all these waves going crazy, he gets ditched overboard. And then the other time that it's used, I want you to listen to this verse. It's in Psalms 11, and I don't think I have it up here, so I'm just going to read it. It's Psalms 11, 6, and 7. And it says, this is like, oh, this is a serious one. So it says, the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fury, I'm sorry, he will rain fiery coals, burning sulfur, and a tempest wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous and he loves justice and the upright will see his face. So that's a pretty that's a pretty strong word that the psalmist is writing to us, right? But that's the other way that tempest is used in the Bible to talk about God's fury or to talk about God's wrath. And so it's an image, it's a visualization that they're using for us for us to realize that God's wrath is serious. His wrath is nothing to play with. And Don preached on that a couple of weeks back, that God's wrath is heavy. It's hard for us to imagine because we are on this side of the cross, right? We're on this side where God loves us and he gives us and he dishes out this grace and this mercy. But in the Old Testament, man, they had to deal with God's wrath all the time. But that's really what we deserve. And so I kind of want you to picture that you know, that tempest of the sea, that wild and crazy storm and those insane waves as an imagery of God's wrath. His wrath is that serious. So what I thought of when I thought of the two terms together, tempest, gracious and tempest, I thought, you know, like we, we are sinful at our core, right? That's our nature. And so like in that sin, we do deserve his wrath. We deserve that that anger and that fury, but it's his gracious love for us. It's his mercy. It's his forgiveness of us that he that we don't get it, that we don't have to endure that, that we don't have to sit under that, that we can be immersed and we can be submerged in his love. And so that's that theory. That's the thought behind the song. And so at first I started thinking, like when I first started thinking about doing this, I was like, it's kind of strange because really the first night of our surge camp was based on repentance. It was John the Baptist. Remember, he preached repentance so that God, so that Jesus could come. And so we talked about it there and I thought, well, that's kind of weird that it's almost like a month and I'm talking about it again. But I just know, and, and this is what I felt like God showed me was that sometimes it takes me a couple of times of hearing things before I surrender to him. Sometimes it takes 
a couple of times for God to really speak to me and work with me for me to fully surrender whatever it is. And so that's when I decided that I just prayed a little bit more and then um, I just figured like this is what we have for tonight. So one of the things I thought about was that as humans, we're inclined to sin, right? We know that. Um, and in Don talks about it all the time that his little kids do things right. And so like, even from the youngest of childhood, we sin or we do bad things, but do you run to your parent to tell them that you did it? Like, think about it now as a teenager, how many of us do something wrong, break a rule, break a curfew, do whatever. And we run immediately to our parents. We wish you did that. And you said, Hey, by the way, I just did this. Anybody in here do that all the time? Right. No. Right. I don't even do that as an adult. What am I talking about as a teenager? I don't do that as an adult. Right. We, by nature, that is not our nature. It's not our tendencies. We don't just run and say, Hey, I just did something wrong. I need punishment. Like that's not us, but I want you to understand that's not humans. It has never been like that from the beginning of time. It was not like that. So when you think about Adam and Eve, Um, we're going to think about their story. So we know that they both, I think you can put that scripture up for me. They both, um, they took of the fruit, right? They ate it. God had told them, please don't eat from the, not please, but don't eat from this fruit. And so they ended up partaking in the fruit, right? They were tricked. They were deceived by Satan. They fell to their flesh. They sinned. But when they did that, they didn't just run to God, but remember they could have because God walked and talked with them in the cool of every afternoon. So they had the opportunity to run and confess and talk to him and ask for his forgiveness, but they didn't do that. So it ends up saying in Genesis 3, 6 through 9, it says, so after they had sinned and um, after they went, they, let's see, it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed the fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the man and his wife heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they had the opportunity. He's right there. They know they did something wrong and they could have ran to him, but what do they do? Just like us, they fall to their flesh and it says they hid. And so they, they hid him. I'm sorry. They hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to man, where are you? And then I thought of another example. I thought of this guy named Achan in the Bible So Achan, just to kind of show us that we're not any different from anybody else that has lived in humanity. We're all the same. And so in that, it's not that it's okay, but I want you to understand it is our natural tendency. And then we'll talk about the danger of it. So this guy named Achan, and this is in Joshua. So um, the nation of Israel, um, they just defeated Jericho. Okay. And that was like a really, really big deal. So they defeat Jericho, they're on this high, and they're like, man, this is awesome, this is great. And then they go to battle with the smaller, much smaller people, um, and they lose, they're defeated. And so everybody, you know, they're confused, they're wigging out, they don't understand it. Joshua is their leader at this time, and God talks to Joshua, and he says, hey, the reason that you lost this battle after you just won something that was much more difficult, the reason you lost is because somebody in your army kept some of the devoted things. And so basically when they went in to I, basically God told them through Joshua, he said, hey, everything that you take, you have to destroy. But Achan saw these things and he coveted them in his heart. That's what he says, that he coveted them. And so he stole them, he brought them back to his tent and he buries him. Okay, so God speaks through Joshua. He tells him why they lost. And so he's speaking through Joshua. He says, okay, so like these are thousands and thousands of people. And he says, you're going to break everybody up into the tribes and you're going to kick out all these tribes and you can leave this one. And you would think that at this point, Achan's like, this is coming down. Like, you know, this is like when your parents, you know, you're thinking like your parents have made like a weird comment to you and you're probably kind of question like, do they know? Like, do they know? You know, like they're, they're thinking they, you thinking they might know. Well, then after that, he separates them into households and he leaves like all the house, well, all the clans and then the households. And then it's down to like his people. And so at this point, this is when you're with your parents and you know, they know now, and you know, it's coming. And instead of, and I tell this happens at school all the time. Like 
I don't know. Students just don't get it. When the teachers start questioning you, they know. Just confess as a teacher because it's better if you just fess it up instead of trying to lie and cover it. I tell people that all the time. I don't understand why they don't get it, but we don't because we're human. And so Aiken had his opportunities like, hey, speak it up right now. Tell them you kept these things and maybe it'll be okay and you're not going to face this tempest. But you know what? He doesn't do that. And so sure enough, um, let's see, we're going to pick up and I'm going to read the way it goes down. So this is Joshua 19. So then Joshua said to Achan, like he's telling him, like, come on, dude, this is your opportunity. Because you know he knows, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. But Achan hid it. So Achan replied, now that he knows, he knows, it is true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. And basically him and his family are destroyed. But, and that's that wrath, that's the consequences of our sin. And so for us, I want us to understand all the way through humanity, we do the exact same thing. We all have the same flesh. We all have the same desires. And that is when we sin, we run. When we sin, we turn from God. When we sin, we want to separate ourselves from our holy God. And all through time, this has happened. And it makes us miserable, right? It makes us feel guilty. We feel shamed. We feel the separation that we've now created, right? Because that's what sin does. It makes this barrier between us and our holy God. It separates us. And so the problem that I see is that, well, I know for me, whenever I'm like in sin or whatever, I'm just just not... I'm just not doing the things that God is calling me to do. I know for sure I get grumpy or I call it frumpy um, because it's just different. Frumpy and grumpy are different to me, which is kind of strange, but it is. I'm frumpy like and I'm not at peace, um, which is makes sense. Right. And I don't want to be by people who are at peace and I don't want to be in the presence of God. And sometimes I don't want to worship and I don't want to read or I don't want to pray. But all of those things are normal and it's because we have this barrier, we have this separation. And so I want you to, to one, maturity in Christ means that you recognize that, right? And that's one thing that I want to encourage you with tonight is recognize when you start feeling, because obviously Satan wants us to separate ourselves. He wants that barrier to be there, but we have to be wise and we have to be on guard and we have to learn how to gauge our relationship with Christ, when we're not feeling his presence in worship, when we're reading and we're not getting anything, or when Dom's preaching and we're just, we're saying that we're not feeling it anymore. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. And so we need to check our hearts and we need to see, is there some sin in there? Is there something that I'm doing that's not pleasing to God? And because of that, I'm no longer turning toward him, but now I'm turning away from him. Because that's what we naturally do. So when we're in these areas and times of our life, we have to be on guard and we have to be wise enough to catch ourselves and know, okay, wait, something's not right. I'm grouchy all the time. I'm not at peace. I'm not happy. I don't feel the same. I'm not wanting to go to Elevate. I don't want to go to church. When those things start to happen, we need to go and pray, and you need to seek God, and you need to find out, and you need to ask him honestly, is there something that I am doing? Is there something on the inside of me? Sometimes it's blatant because sometimes we're in sin because, honestly, we want to be doing it, right? We're enjoying what we're doing. That's the way Satan tricks us. That's the way he grabs us. He gives us things that are inviting to us and that they are desirous of us, and we partake in them, and then we don't want to stop partaking in them. But maturity in Christ makes us aware, and then we know how we need to handle it. So one of the things I want to remind us of is that God knows our hearts, right? He knows our minds. He knows our thoughts. He knows our intentions. There's never a time that we can run from him. Adam and Eve, he knew what they did. He knew where they were. He knew what Achan did. He knows our hearts, our thoughts. He knows our minds. He knows our intentions. So 
I want you to understand the disparity between it. We sin, we do something wrong, we displease God, we want to turn and go the other way, we want to separate, we want to keep that barrier there so that he doesn't find out and he doesn't know and he he doesn't want to, maybe we think he doesn't correct us or we don't want to face those consequences, but he already knows, right? And so I just have two quick scriptures to remind us that he does know our thoughts. The first one is Psalms 139, 1 and 2. And it says, this is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. And it says, the first piece just says, you've searched, my, you've searched me, you know my heart. You know when I sit, you know when I rise, and you perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows everything about us. He's known us from the time that we were created in our mother's womb. He knows the days of our life. And so he knows when we're running. And he just desires us to be back in his fold. And then Jeremiah 12, 3 says, Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and you test my thoughts about you. And then this part is is very serious, but this is the heart that we need to have. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of the slaughter. That's maturity in the psalmist. The psalmist recognized his thoughts were evil. His thoughts were bad. His thoughts were impure. And he was asking God to take them out, to take them away. And so that's where we're calling you. We're calling you to this this point of maturity where you start to recognize your walk with God, know your walk with God, and know when Satan's messing with that. And so that we're not turning, we're not letting that barrier stay. And then the next thing I want to share with you is that when that barrier is there, when we have that separation between us and God, it's a really dangerous place to be, right? Because sometimes it, it is because of sin. And so we're turned, we're walking a different direction. We're ignoring maybe his call on us. Maybe we're not reading, we're not praying, we're not seeking. All those things are happening. But the other thing is that we tend to let them happen, right? And there's all different kind of reasons why. But sometimes we let them happen. Sometimes we wallow in that sin. We stay in it. Sometimes we enjoy it. We like it. Sometimes it's got to hold so hard on us that we can't get rid of it or we can't fight it ourselves. And even if we surrender it to God, sometimes we just keep going back to it. And that's when we need help. The other part of that maturity in Christ is knowing when you cannot beat something on your own. When you need to reach out to someone as hard as it is and to open up and say, I just need help with this. I can't do it. I'm trying and I'm praying and I'm seeking, but I still can't do it. When we don't seek help, when we don't give it to God, and when we don't go to people to help us, what happens is we're just going to keep walking. We're going to keep walking in the opposite direction. We're going to keep going. And what happens is our hearts, it's kind of like this little phrase and our hearts grow hard. They grow stony. To me, in my life, what that looks like are those same similar things. I don't feel as present. I don't want to be sometimes with people who are who are living right. I don't want to come to elevate our church. I don't want to worship. I, I choose to listen to maybe other music. But the the danger in that is that it makes a bigger gulf and that separation between you and God, it makes that barrier even bigger and stronger and harder to break through. And so I want to encourage you that that's something that's very real. And again, you're not alone. We all go through that. I would venture to say that every person in this room has dealt with that. And so has all of mankind. Because look at this scripture. Um, let's do Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. I found this one just to show you that It's something that we have all dealt with. So in Ezekiel, he's a prophet. And so in this, I just picked out this one little piece. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's definitely saying that even in the Old Testament, mankind dealt with these hard, stony hearts where we don't let anything penetrate it. We don't allow God to penetrate it. We don't allow others to penetrate it. Sometimes we're we're just mean and grumpy and we're not compassionate. And we don't know how to give love anymore 
because we have a hard, stony heart. And then in Matthew 13, um, 13 and 15, it says, it was Jesus, and he says, this is why I speak to them in parables. And, and this is so us, so me, when I'm running for God and where, or when maybe I'm in sin or when I'm just not, I, I just don't want to, I, I just live in that gulf that's there. It says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever be hearing but never understanding you will ever be seeing, but never perceiving for the people's heart has become calloused. And that's what that means. Like we're going to hear the word of God and it's not going to touch us anymore. We're going to hear the word of God, but it's not going to seep in. We're going to see things that he does and we're not going to give him credit for it. We're not going to be thankful anymore because our heart is hard. It's stony. And that's a really dangerous place to be because I feel like when we're in that spot, that's when Satan wants to come in. That's when he is going to hit you even harder. That's when he's going to send even more attacks on you. And so it takes a mature person to be able to recognize, okay, I think I'm in this place and I need to turn back to God. I'm walking this direction, but I got to go back. And so then the rest of it says, for this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, if that hadn't happened, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. And so I want you to, to realize that we are, you know, like the, the hard part is that this is to hear that we are sinful and we do have evil desires, right? Like that's just who and what we are as a human. We're not Jesus. We're human. And so when we think about all of that, it kind of makes us understand we do deserve God's wrath, right? We do deserve his punishment. We do deserve that tempest. We deserve those things. But the hope and the beauty of it is that he doesn't give it to us. It's that enormous amount of love that he cherishes us with and that he adores us with that he no longer gives us that wrath. He gives us his grace and his unending love and his insurmountable mercy so that he takes us and he wraps us up and he forgives us and he loves on us. And so, you know, we all know that, that we are to ask for forgiveness, right? Like when we know that we're in this spot, the very first step is to ask for forgiveness. So that's the first thing. When you know you're walking in that opposite direction, when you know that you're headed, you have to ask for forgiveness, right? Because when we ask for forgiveness, that's when that barrier is broken. That's when that separation is no longer there. That's when our hearts start to turn soft again. That's when we start to have compassion. That's when we start to, you're in worship again and you're like, oh, this feels so good. I love his presence, but there's something else that's involved too. And so when we were um, in doing summer camp, we were doing surge. One of the nights, um, our e-group, we talked a lot about the differences between forgiveness and repentance. And we talked about that. Yes, we definitely need to go to God with forget asking for forgiveness, right? It's Jesus dying on the cross that, that we're allowed to go before him with forgiveness but God desires something more. He desires repentance. And so we talked, even we got in the conversation of, so if he's asking us and we know that we need forgiveness, then why do we have to repent? Like, why is it like, is it a two-step process or why is it a two-step process or what does repentance really even mean? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And remember that Forgiveness is asking Jesus to cover our sins, to forgive our sins, to wash us clean. Repentance is us taking it to a deeper level. It's us going a little bit further than just asking for that forgiveness. Because I really believe that we can ask for forgiveness, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're, we may go right back to it, right? And then we can ask for forgiveness again, and then we might go right back to it. But repentance 
is a commitment. Repentance is something that he desires from us because we're no longer going to keep turning right back to it. It involves a sacrifice for us. It involves us doing things. And that's where it's going to take it just a little step further. And so that's what we're going to talk about now is repentance. And how does that fit into this and tie into forgiveness? So we understand forgiveness is Jesus covering our sins. He's washing us clean. He's wiping that slate from us when we go to him with that heart that says, I'm so sorry for what I've done. But to do this, we're going to look at the story of David. And so David was a king. He was loved by God. He was chosen by God. Um, and I think, I think somebody here, I don't remember who it was, preached on David not that long ago. So I'm going to summarize super quick his story just in case you don't know. But David is the king of um, Israel at this point. Um, all the other men, they're all off at war. And so David stays back, even though he probably shouldn't have. He stays back, and he catches the eye of this woman bathing, and that's Bathsheba. And so he's checking her out. And so he ends up bringing her into his palace. They end up having sex. She gets pregnant. And now, of course, if we remember, um, Bathsheba is his best friend's wife. Okay? So David has definitely sinned, right? He has sinned, but he has not asked for forgiveness. Okay? And just like us, just like Achan, just like Adam and Eve, guess what he does? He sinned, and he did not turn and ask for forgiveness. So he sins again. So he's got this situation on his hands, and so just kind of like us, a lot of times we think we can just try to get ourselves out of it, but he ends up basically responsible for the murder of his best friend. So now the best friend is murdered. Um, the wife, um, his, his, you know, Bathsheba is pregnant. And so one thing that we know is that some time must go by. Okay. So time must go by because Bathsheba has had the son. He's a baby. And so David now, he also, since he's king, he has, you know, a court and he has a prophet in the court. And so the prophet's name is Nathan. And as a king, a king also got to decide people's fate, okay? So that was part of his responsibility. If they came to him with something, he got to decide what would happen, okay? So now David's committed all these sins. He hasn't asked for forgiveness yet. And now the court um, prophet comes to him. And that's where we're going to pick up um, in Second Samuel. So this prophet comes to him. and. Um, all right, so it's Second Samuel 12. And so the Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, so he kind of tells him like this little story, because remember, that's his job as the king. He gets to decide people's fate. So he sets it up like, hey, what if this just happened? What would you do? So there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children, and it shared his food and drank his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man, remember that's all he had, and prepared it for the one who had come. So David, he hears this, and he gets ticked. He's like, what? Are you joking me? Like, how could he do this? So he burns with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times because he did such a thing and had no pity. And so the prophet, um, then Nathan says to David, well, you are the man. And so he kind of like you see, he set him up. He told him this story like he wants David to, to be the judge, to decide what this man's fate is. And when he sets it up, Nathan tells him, dude, that's exactly what you just did. You just did that to your best friend and his wife. And so this is what the Lord, the, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the land of Saul. I gave your master's house to you. And your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in my eyes? You struck down Uriah with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house 
because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And this is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. And he will lie with your, I'm sorry, um, I will bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives, give them to the one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. So he's taken away his sin. He's asked for forgiveness. You are not going to die, but because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. And that's exactly what happens. The son born to them ends up dying. But I want you to understand like that's, that's a heavy consequence, right? So our consequence, even though we're forgiven, we do face the consequences of our sin. But the thing about David is after all this happens, after all this takes place, I want you to recognize that David needed forgiveness, right? He needed that forgiveness, but David repents. So he asks for forgiveness. He's forgiven and he repents. And so in it, the Bible, the, the scriptures tell us that after all this has taken place and because he repents, because he turns his heart, not away from God, but toward God. And he starts running toward God. Now that God forgives him, he restores him and he cherishes him. And in some parts of scripture, it says after all this has happened, it says that he's a man after God's own heart. And it's because he repents. And so repentant is being repentant is something that God desires out of us because it requires more of us than us asking for forgiveness. See, we can ask anybody for forgiveness, but to change your ways, that's a whole different story, right? And that's what repentance is. Repentance is this commitment to God. Repentance is you taking back what you enjoyed, taking back what kept you captive, taking back what was what you were keeping in bondage. It's you taking that back, bringing it to God and saying, it's yours. I can't do it on my own. I want to be forgiven, but I'm giving this to you. Like it's done. I'm leaving it here and I am turning 180 degrees and I'm walking in the other direction of that. And the direction I'm going in is straight toward you. And so repentance, you'll see how it's a step further than just asking for forgiveness. Repentance is showing God that you have a heart that wants to be soft. You have a heart that wants to adore him and love him. And you want to feel his presence in worship. And you want to receive when someone preaches. And you want to hear his voice again. Repentance is saying to God, that even though as much as I enjoyed this or as much as I liked it or as much of a hold it had on me, I'm, I'm running toward you instead. And I'm giving it fully and completely over to you. That's what repentance is. And that's what he desires out of us because it totally destroys that barrier and that separation that was once between us. I also think that um, you know, obviously it has to come with actions, right? Repentance have to come, has to come with actions. Forgiveness is asking Jesus to forgive us and him washing us clean. But repentance has to be proven with actions. Okay. And I want us to understand that. So I wrote some of the actions that are involved in repentance. Um, I think the first one is obviously confessing our sin right before God. And I think sometimes we need to confess our sin to somebody else because especially if it's something that we know we can't handle and we know we can't control, we know we can't battle it, then we need to confess that sin to someone else and we need somebody else to help us. Or maybe it's confessing a sin because you've done something against someone or to someone. So confessing, you definitely confess it to God and if there's other involved. Um, and then you ask for that forgiveness. And you recognize that you are forgiven. It takes you to recognize that when we ask, we are forgiven. I'm sure none of us in here probably 
kind of lived up to what David, the story I just told you about David, right? We haven't killed our best friend. We haven't murdered our best friend. And so he accepted God's forgiveness right away. And we sometimes have a harder time forgiving ourselves than God does. So recognize that when you ask for forgiveness, you're forgiven. He's not holding it over your head. He's not holding you and and tying you to it. Humans do that to each other, but God never does that to us. So ask for that forgiveness, receive that forgiveness, and remember and remind yourself that you're forgiven. And then one part of repentance is that we need to feel like we do need to feel regret and remorse because we need to feel those things so that we want to not return to that sin and that we feel that regret and remorse so that we're honoring God with our choices that we're going to make. And then the next one is you have to turn away from the sin, right? And sometimes, again, that's going to take you being mature and going to an e-group leader, going to a parent, going to someone that's older, going to a teacher, going to Dom, going to Jackie. It's going to take going to someone saying, look, I'm trying to beat this and I've asked for forgiveness and I have a repentant heart, but I know I'm still going to battle and I'm afraid I'm going to fall. That's maturity and going to people to get the help that you need. We still do that as adults. It's not like we're ever going to be free of that. That's something that we still do as adults. And then the last one is Maybe you might have to even restore that wrong that you've done. If it's to another person, if it's to a parent or a friend, sometimes you might have to take those actions and restore that wrong and go to that person and heal that relationship. But I just love that um, that after all this happens, David is restored and he writes beautiful psalms. Like it's just it's just a beautiful love story. And so real quick, I want to read to you. Um, I want to read to you Psalms, let's see, Um, I want to read to you Psalms 32, and then I thought I had it turned, sorry. This This is David speaking about when he had unconfessed sin. And I want you to see and, and see if you can relate to this. This is what he felt like. It says, blessed is he who's transgressed transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the man whose sin who whose sin the lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit so he's saying we're blessed when we are that person where we we go to god and we confess because he says when i kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy on me My strength was sapped as the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely the mighty waters rise. There's that that tempest. They will not reach him. You are my hiding place, and you will protect me from trouble. And then Psalms 51, this is after, okay? So this is um, while he's asking God to give him that grace and that mercy. This is showing his repentant heart. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth and sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. That's that that repentance. God desires us to, to have truth on the inside of us. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. So he's telling him that he's putting all that sin down, and he's asking God, replace that stony hard heart he had and replace it with a pure heart. 
Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's the soft heart that those scriptures were talking about. It's God taking out the hardness, the stone, and he replaces it with things that are soft and pliable and a heart that he can touch and he can mold and he can love on again. Then I will teach other transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. So that's that beautiful part is that when we've gone through this, we get to share with others. There's such a better way. Save me from my blood guilt, O God, and the God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. So he's saying Like, if you would take a sacrifice, I'd bring it to you. If you would want an offering, I would do it. I would do anything to get right with you again, but nothing will do it but that repentance, that that sorrowful remorse that we have saying that we want to be back in the right place with you again. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. And then the bowls will be offered on your altar. And so, you know, I think sometimes in my life, I need God's soft grace. You know, like there's sometimes when I do things that I know displeases him. And I think that I need just a soft hand. I need a soft correction. I need grace. You know, that grace, when I think of grace, I just think of, I don't know, I just think of softness. I, I think of kindness and gentleness and um, just that sweet, soft spirit of God. And there are times when I do need it. I need to be corrected like that from him. Um, and But there's times when I, I don't need that. And there are times when I need him to like swoosh me over like a giant wave, you know, like I need him to kind of like, you know, hit me upside the head but it's still grace, you know, it's still his lovingness to me. But there are times where, um, and I just went through one recently where I was really bitter and angry with God. I was very bitter and I was very angry and I really have absolutely no right to be bitter and angry with him, but I was, and I let that build up in my heart instead of going to him with it. And instead of walking toward him, I kept walking away. And I, and I was in a, such a dry, horrible season of my life. And it was my own fault. It was my own doing. It was from this bitterness and this anger that I had and was holding him to. And so I realized that and I had to repent. And the beautiful thing about it is that when we're wrapped up in times like that, it's like a bondage. And a bondage is something that holds us. And it's heavy and it, it weighs on us. But when we ask for forgiveness and when we find that spot and when we go to him with repentance, it's a freedom. And it's where you're, you're free and you feel free and you feel the softness that he changes your heart to. And I, I know for me, it, sometimes it's just, it's right away. It's literally right away. And it's almost like like a light switch sometimes. And it's crazy to me how burdened and how heavy and how horrible and miserable you can feel. And then you give yourself to him freely and you repent and you you have this heart of saying, I was so stupid. Why was I turning from you when I could turn towards you? And then, you know, like for me, I cry and I sing. And then like my whole heart has changed. It's like, oh, it's just. I know it's like stony to soft. It's crazy, but it's really true. And it's just the most wonderful feeling. It is the most wonderful feeling. And so the way that we're going to close tonight is that I want you to think about the words of that song again. So I'm going to read them one more time. It says, your love towers over me. And I want you to think of how big and consuming his love is. It towers over me. Gracious tempest, endless sea. And like, I wish I could have shown you that picture, but just picture in your head, you know, like you're just one little spot in this vast, vast ocean. 
of his endless grace and mercy and love for you. Surround me like a storm because sometimes we need that. Sometimes we just need to be surrounded. Like this, this past, it was right before camp, like right at camp. And so like, that's, that's what I needed. I needed him to come in just like this giant storm swoop me off my feet so that I could say, this is what I needed. I needed you to surround me. I needed him to surround my bitterness and anchor and anger and submerge it in his tides of grace and mercy. And that's the images with this song. So let your tide of mercy rain. Let it flood my heart again. Surround me like an ocean. Your love is crashing over me. It's surging like a raging sea. But remember, think about it, is that you're the safe little the safe little spot in that. And it's because of his grace and his love and his mercy. We never have to endure that wrath because of that when we seek it. Immerse me in the wonder of your love, a downpour of an ending grace consuming all my reckless ways. My sins are submerged. Your love has saved my soul. Your love is like a storm. And so get that image like I was lost. I felt like I was in a tempest. My life, I felt, was like turning upside down until I asked him for forgiveness and repented and turned from those feelings of bitterness and anger. And when I did, he saved my soul. Because if not, I would keep going in the direction I was heading. And that's our alternative. It's either repent and let God save your soul or continue to be miserable. It's one or the other. Because you're never going to feel at peace in that state. And so the way that we're going to end tonight, I'm going to end it a little bit different. I, did, I love our worship team, and y'all know that. But I didn't want them to have to play. I wanted them to be able to worship. And so what we're going to do is um, I want you to feel free to get out of your seats, to find your own spot. I'm going to ask you not to be on your cell phone, not to talk to anybody. Get in your own space. Kneel. Kneel and turn towards your chair. Go someplace. Not on the other side. Stay in here. But let's separate. Let's put space between us so that the words of that song really seep in. And I'm just going to encourage you, pray. If you are at a spot where you need to ask for forgiveness, do it. I think I've explained repentance enough so that you could repent um, if you need to do that. And sometimes maybe we're not in that spot. But this song to me is just one that just reminds me of his love and how overpowering it is. So maybe right now you're just in a spot where life's hardships are coming at you like those waves, like that tempest. And maybe you just need him to save you from that. And so just relax and enjoy him taking care of you in the midst of everything of your life right now. You know where you are. I don't, but you do. And so I just, we're going to play this song and I just encourage you find your own spot and um, we're going to end with that song. And then I'm just going to close in prayer. Okay. Crushing
gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, He saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. In this moment, young and free, why don't you just lift your hands? And we're going to sing about great love of our Father. God, we just come to you right now, Lord God, and we thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy. God, we thank you that it saves us. We thank you that it rescues us. We thank you that when we're in the middle of a tempest, we thank you, Almighty God, that we don't have to stay there, that we can choose to get out of that. God, your your grace, it abounds so much to us, and we thank you so much. God, we thank you that you love us, that you adore us, that you cherish us. We thank you for your forgiveness. It's so beautiful. We thank you that you wash us clean, that you wipe our slates whiter than snow. And God, I pray over that right now. I pray over every student in this room, Lord God. I pray that every student that has asked for forgiveness, every adult that has asked for forgiveness, Lord God, we pray that one that they feel that forgiveness, that they receive that forgiveness. We pray that there's nothing that Satan can do that can make them live in condemnation, but we pray for freedom, Almighty God, that they would know that they would have an assurance in their heart that when they've asked you for forgiveness, that it's done. It's your grace, it's your love, it's your mercy. God, we thank you for that, and we praise you for that. We give you all honor and glory for that. We thank you for that freedom. We thank you. Father God, for those who have asked you to repent, that they've repented before you, God, we pray, Lord, that they follow through, Lord God, that that they seek help, that they seek your help, Almighty God. We pray that they, they seek help from someone that they need. But God, we pray that those who have asked and, and have gone before you to repent, to say that they're ready to put it down, that they're ready to twer- turn and run toward you, and to change and to, to show it with actions. God, we pray that you give them power. We pray that you give them persistence. We pray that you give them strength, Almighty God. Father, we pray that that, that bondage of sin would be lifted and that their hearts would feel soft, that their hearts would be, feel pliable again, Lord God, that you can touch it, you can mold it. They feel your presence again. I pray that they would go home and that they would worship before you, Father God. I pray that it wouldn't end right now, that they would go home and they would seek quiet time with you. God, we give it all to you. We give our hearts to you. And we thank you and we praise you for the work that you've done tonight. We thank you, mighty, almighty God, just for those images. That your love is so unending that you submerge our sins, 
that you overcome us with your love, your grace, and your mercy. And we ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, to close this out, one, um, remember, oh, you can do it. You can do it. Remember that if you need help, you need wisdom, you need guidance, please go find somebody. Make sure um, you do that. That's, that's important. So make sure you do that. And then I have these two awesome ladies to close this out. Hola, mi amigos. Yep, took Spanish. <clears throat> anyway, uh, just really this week, uh, Bella and I, right, Bella? Yep. We encourage you to really rest in God's presence. And we also encourage you to come to the Dishman Water Party Friday. Yay. Wake up. Woo. Yep. And uh, oh, I had something else to say. Oh, silly me. Um, I forgot. Bella, do you remember? Nothing? Okay. Great. Uh, we're just going to pray out. And don't forget about the, um, the thing. You went. Can y'all put up the slide about like the water party? Okay, so make sure you take a picture of this. Don't forget. Also, like if you want to feel a part of Elevate, this is like where you go to. You go to things like this, and so like just come here. It's gonna be really fun. We have, I think we're doing water balloons. There's a lot of water balloons. So just please come on. It's gonna be so awesome. Why would you want to miss it? And then we'll pray out. Here you go. And don't forget, uh, women in here, well, girls, women, whatever. Uh, don't forget about women's ministry, the dance thing. July 20th. Yeah, you weren't here. It's not, it's the lady who does the dance. Miss Jenny. Jenny Mac. Miss Jenny Mac. Okay. I'm going way off the bunny trail today. But anyway, uh, we're going to pray out and then you're dismissed. There's no e-groups. So I'll bow your heads. Dear God, we just thank you for another great service. And we thank you for a place like Lighthouse. We pray that we go into our week that we can really do our ministry of spreading your word and we can just always keep Christ first and remember we do everything for an audience of one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you next week. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.